Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. Hey there, welcome everyone to another episode of the Rocket MSP Podcast. I'm Steve Taylor, your host, and today I am joined by Taz Gray. Uh, Taz, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. Appreciate the Absolutely. opportunity to come on. Absolutely. So, um, let's see. I, I think people are probably wondering, why are you doing this so late in the day? Uh, because... For you, you're actually from the future. Um, I am. I am indeed. So, so I'm I'm in Ohio, which goes by like New York City time zone, and you are in Melbourne, Australia, which Melbourne, uh, is Australia, plus ten GMT. Is it only ten? Only ten. We were oh, oh it's well just... we're we're minus four so yeah that makes sense that you're you're about so it's seven in the morning there right uh it's 704 yeah exactly okay so good morning <laughs> good morning have you had your coffee this is gonna be fun uh, uh that was a, that's all I've done today <laughs> that's that's all you've had time for I suspect. You're yep. like still still at home. You got your your Axiom IT shirt on, and then like your boxer shorts down below, right? More or less, yep. I didn't sleep. We're not going to confirm. I, uh, We're not going <laughs> to confirm. Put that on when I wake up. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Taz, you are with Axiom, and you are an IT consulting company. Uh, well, not you personally. You're an IT consultant. Axiom is an IT consulting company. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit about you and your company before we dive in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I where where what 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 I would call a managed service provider, I suppose, and um, we obviously do consulting along with that. Um, but we are based here in Melbourne, Australia. We uh, we're a you know smallish sort of team of I think we're about eight people now. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've been going along since 2011. So this is you getting up ten for us. Um, and we're we've got a pretty strong alignment with with Microsoft 365 and, and Microsoft in general so that's that's more or less what we do and uh, where our focus sits um, and uh, yeah we've got a we've got an interesting mix of clients and it's um, you know there's never a dull moment really very cool so is it is it weird thinking that 2011 is a decade ago it's a little bit scary because it feels like it was only yesterday that we that we started this thing but um, right yeah time just time flies when you when you have fun that's what they tell me mm. um, so <laughs> so 
with with you doing this for for about a decade, you said that you are are deeply ingrained in the Microsoft three. You call it three six five. We call it three sixty five. I guess. I mean, do either of us have to be wrong? Like, can't we both just be right here? I think we can agree to agree to disagree on that one. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking um, about the same thing. So I think we are. Good. We are. Yeah. So, so, so with you using Microsoft 365, I mean, okay. So you use like hosted Exchange and and OneDrive and maybe some Teams. Like that, you know, everyone does that. So I don't, I don't see the big deal with bragging about Microsoft 365. Well, yeah, no, we, uh, you're right about that. I think most people are doing it. Um, I guess where 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 I, I, where I see us as being a little different is that that's all we do. So we our, uh, we're very selective about the technologies that we use now, um, and and for good reasons, I I believe. Um, but we don't have any clients that are on on the Google suite or have their own Exchange servers, uh, which is I'm quite grateful for that given recent events, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, no other funny stuff like Lotus Notes, Kerio, any of that other stuff that you might come across. So I just, haven't heard Lotus Notes in over a decade. I'm sure it's still out there somewhere. So, I hope not. <laughs> I do feel for those people. But yeah, look, we um, I guess, I mean, we to, to tell you a little bit about myself, so my I, MSP was not my background and um, I actually got into MSP after doing maybe six or seven years in .NET development. So I've always been quite Microsoft uh, focused, but previously it was in, in software development. And at some point I decided that software development as a career for me just wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and of course, being, being that guy that, that knows how computers work Particularly back, I guess in, in the late '90s, early 2000s, you were you were always called upon to, to to fix things when they broke. And you know, we're talking about pre-iPads and iPhones and, and that era when uh, everyone had a had a Windows computer at home and, and all that kind of thing. So I was mm-hmm. al- already kind of somewhat involved in tech support uh, as a bit of a side hustle, I suppose you would say. And uh, I. I guess back around 2010, 2011, decided to have a go at setting up a business and um, and, and quickly had to learn about being an MSP and, and what that involved because it was um, it was something not something I'd ever done before. Interesting. Mm. So, when when you looked into being an MSP, um, I guess here's where I I get a little nervous. I'm. I'm worried for your customers, Taz, because you say you say all you do is Microsoft. Are you telling me that you don't do like Sophos, uh, antivirus, and and endpoint protection, or or Bitdefender, or or any of these other like antivirus solutions? Uh, so we previously we had done um, well for. In the past, we were pretty, pretty. We were, we were using WebRoot quite heavily, 
um, and that that worked pretty well. We thought um, certainly we will probably were pretty lucky. I don't think we ever had a crypto uh, on one of our clients, which was maybe a little bit of good planning and a little bit of good fortune. But um, yeah, no. At, at this point in time now, we we do have some legacy clients hanging around that, that still are on the Webroot uh, product. Um, but for the newer clients and clients who are on our cloud stack, we, we absolutely do not use WebRoot at all. We use the Defender endpoint protection that Microsoft provides us with um, Defender ATP. Uh, and we've found that to be pretty good. Okay. So Defender ATP, that's the part I'm nervous about. Well, tell me, tell me what makes you nervous about that, Steve. Well, I mean, I just, you know, all, all my IT buddies, they, they all tell me that Defender's bad. So, I mean, I, I just have never used it because everyone tells me it's bad. So why would I use it? Um, well, I'm not sure how to answer that because in my experience, we've, we've found that it's actually been quite effective. So, uh, but if you, you know, I'd love to understand a bit more about why they would say that. Well, when you look at, you know, all the tests from 13 years ago and you and you compare Windows Defender, uh, the one that comes on, you know, Windows 7 Home uh, versus a product like Sophos Endpoint Protection with EDR, the Sophos just wipes... ATP or, or or just the regular old Windows Defender off off the off the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just you know obviously Defender sucked so uh, thirteen years ago so it can't be good now. Well, I think I mean look, thirteen years ago was it, things were very different, of course, and uh, I dare say it's improved since then. Uh, but I guess the, the key thing is the ATP add-on that really um, is, is where a lot of the goodness starts to come out. Um, so per, it, per, I guess in, in my experience over the last 10 years and, and having you know worked or run an MSP for that time, I, I, and I could be naive in thinking this, and however, I believe that the, the endpoint is, is not really the target so much anymore like it used to be um, the you know crypto was really a big thing for a while there uh, but now what what I've seen and what I think is more important to protect is the online identity so that in, for us that's the 365 account to me that's where most of the bad actors are targeting users and trying to of course fish them and lure them into handing over their credentials, which once they get in, they can start to do the social engineering type stuff and, you know, extract money out of companies through falsified invoices and things, you know, that, like that that we've all come across. To me, that's that's the biggest risk. The endpoint, of course, is still important. You don't want that to be compromised, but um, I don't feel it's, it's, it's quite as targeted as it once was. Not to say that you don't need good endpoint protection, and certainly not saying that Defender ATP is not good endpoint protection. Interesting. Okay. So, 
most of the you're right you know most of the attacks aren't really attacks as much as they're gotcha you know like they're just trying to to trick people into to giving over credentials or or signing checks or or whatever right you know you get the 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 fake invoice from the you know fake company that's not actually up the street but they say they are so obviously you should pay the invoice mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I I guess you're right. You know, it's it's much more about manipulation these days than it is about you know sending someone a virus. Not that the virus stuff doesn't happen, because obviously there's stuff out there like you know all this uh, ransomware stuff and, and getting your stuff encrypted. I mean, obviously that you know you hear about. I think it was Garmin last year that had the ransomware attack that took them offline for. a quite a significant amount of time and mm. I'm sure there have been others recently that I can't think of but um, look in my view the, the average small business now ransomware is not not the problem that it once was because uh, at least in the case of our clients the majority are on um, using Teams uh, or SharePoint and which well same thing in, in a lot of ways um, and OneDrive most of the data sits in the cloud they, they've moved away from the network drive, so there's no there's no risk of that being encrypted. And um, you know, we not that I've ever seen it happen, but if, if you did have someone syncing a SharePoint library and it got encrypted, it wouldn't be difficult to roll that back. Um, potentially, Microsoft can do that for you if you're using 365 backup. You can roll it back, so it, it's almost a non-event really, um, and it's certainly not the sort of thing that keeps me up at night. That Whereas you know five five or more years ago it it, it possibly could, so I've, yeah I really don't think that that threat exists anymore in, in small business, really. Okay. So one of the other things that we kind of discussed is, you know, again you you are one hundred percent cloud based and you're one hundred percent Microsoft three six five, so. With that being the case, uh, you don't have clients with like domain controllers in the office, do you? We, not really. Uh, we do have the odd one here and there. Uh, so there are some some clients who still need that through a couple of usually on-premise line of business software that they can't get away from, or you do get the odd odd business like an engineering firm or an architecture firm where they're they're dealing with large files and they need that local file storage and so on, but um, yeah, I could probably count on on two hands the number of servers that we've still got out there. Hmm. But ignoring those, we've got yeah, we've got our ideal setup is really just the Microsoft 365 Business Premium E3 or E5 uh, full stack, and um, yeah, doing that with Azure AD joins and uh, Intune for endpoint management, and just making full use of that 365 stack. Now you said Intune for endpoint management. Are you also using some type of RMM tool like ConnectWise, Man, Automate, Manage, whatever they call that one, uh, or Autotask, uh, RMM, Data RMM, or, or whatever? We do. Uh, we're, we're unfortunately we're not at a point where where we could do away with that yet. So we still we still have Kaseya, which uh, we make use of for things like patching and the ability to run scripts on 
on endpoints and you know, things like that. But yeah, it's uh, it's increasingly becoming less relevant. Um, but at this point, I would say you still you still need that. Yeah. All right. Now, you said that you know your your ideal environment, three six five with Azure AD joints. So let's let's take a minute to talk about that because uh, there are a lot of people who, quite honestly, are scared uh, or or intimidated. Maybe that's a better word for it, but they're they're very intimidated by just the the sheer thought of trying to figure out how to join a computer to Azure AD. Um, so can you can you kind of walk us through like the I, I I know you're probably not technical these days. You're probably more focused on managing the business than managing the tech. So are you able to walk us through like big picture? What does it look like to walk in, uh, set up a new client of yours that has existing computers and and set all of these computers up on on an Azure AD network? Yeah, um, I mean, essentially, so our process looks kind of like this. So if we, if we were to pick up a new client and, and they weren't already Azure AD joined and, and sort of been cloud managed, uh, we, we would have to go in there and do all of that. And essentially that process involves, if it's domain joined, you'd have to pull it off the domain. If it's not, then you just join it straight onto the Azure AD domain. You do have to create a new Windows profile to do that. Uh, there are tools out there to migrate profiles across, but I can tell you in our experience, that it's that, that's just always been problematic. Um, so I guess one tip I'd have for people is definitely just steer clear of profile migration. It just does it cause just some it'll it'll trip you up at some point. Um, so you're better off creating a new one. And that's really all there is to it, Steve. You just you Azure AD join the machine, um, and then really that that's step one. Having Intune manage the device is step two, and that's probably where most of the complexity lies. And I think probably where a lot of apprehension exists for people who are not really up to speed with this stuff yet, and who have come from the more traditional group policy domain join approach. Um, you know, it, it is different, and there is there is learning involved, and it's um, you know it, it, it takes time and it's effort, and understand why people are not always keen on doing that. But you know, in, in my opinion, it's it's well, I'd say it's the future, but it's really it's not. It's it's the here and now, and um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Okay, so what? what type of stuff are you guys doing with Intune? Like, are, are you doing the type of stuff that um, people used to do with the domain controller, like, you know, group policy and, um, you know, set, setting up new printers and, and like that type of stuff where, where you're, you're doing a lot of the automation and security management? We... I mean, we do we do do some things. Uh, printer management is an interesting one because, yeah, without a, a print server on on prem, it, it can be yeah that that's a bit more challenging than it used to be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there are SaaS-based solutions out there to deal with that, but for the most part, we just run a script to map the printer and, and that takes care of most things, but you do miss out on a bit of the niceness there. Um, but as far as what we do, I'd say, yeah, sim- similar things. So we, we, you know, set wallpaper and restrict, you know, restrict things and lock the machines down to a certain extent. But then on top of that, what we're doing is we're able to do a lot more in terms of device management. So where group policy traditionally would, would look after the Windows devices, Intune allows you to look after Android and iOS devices as well. So all of a sudden, you've got a lot more power to secure people's devices, even if they're not company-owned. And what I find in discussions with clients is that there's if they haven't really even thought about this, once you once you have that chat with them and, and you bring their attention to the fact that they've got staff with personally owned devices, you know, their smartphone essentially, um, sometimes computers as well, but they're accessing work resources and someone's got a, a, an iPhone or, or Android phone, it's connected to Teams, it's connected to work email, they've, they've essentially got a way into, you know, all the company data. And, you know, these these things can be lost or stolen and the company doesn't really have any way of knowing is that device secure or not um, and they don't really give that any thought in, until it either happens or until you sit down and discuss it with them so the, the great thing about Intune is that you can manage all of these things and you can keep this data secure on devices that um, are personally owned that the company didn't issue uh, without sort of having to take ownership of the device and, and be too intrusive to the staff member. So to me, that that's a brilliant selling point of, of just the whole M365 story and, um, you know, the power that you've got in your hands with that. And, and definitely clients appreciate that. And, and I would say over here in Australia, that's there's not a lot of people doing that at the moment. Um, so it, it does, I guess, provide a bit of a niche for us in a lot of ways because the People out there who are looking for that uh, have, a, have a hard time finding it in a lot of cases. So for, for those of you watching uh, Wednesday night, afternoon, Thursday morning, what, whatever it is, if you're watching it live right now, depending on where you are in the world, um, feel free to pop some questions in the chat, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, especially Facebook. I'm, I'm curious if the Facebook chat is uh is coming through into StreamYard because this is my first attempt at doing um a Facebook in a, uh integration with it. So yeah. Um so so I guess I just want to kind of recap what I've heard so far. You're using 365, uh either business premium or higher, I'll say, mm-hmm. when when it comes to the licensing. And I'm pretty sure business premium and E3 are just really close. The, Business Premium just has that 300 user cap, right? The, uh, yeah, so E3, uh, actually, Steve, just excuse me one sec. I'm going to close the blind. You can probably see the sun no coming problem. up and it's right in my eye. Quick, guys, now's your chance. I don't know for what, but do it. Sorry about that. I can actually see you again. No problem. All right. Um, yeah, so yeah, the so the business premium E3s. It's an interesting situation there because they did 
they did end up putting a lot into business premium. I, if you recall, not maybe six, 12 months ago, uh, business premium didn't contain Azure AD P1, which mm -hmm. uh, left out a lot of the, the good stuff. But when they put that in, um, it, it actually, I'd say it became better than E3 because you got Azure AD P1, but you also got Office 365 ATP, which is now called Defender 365, I think. Whereas E3, you don't get that. Um, but yes. where where E3 has a has a place is for those clients that do still have the server on-prem, uh, you do get the Windows Server Kel with the E3 license. So that, mm. that is one of the benefits over Business Premium. But outside of that, there's the 300 user cap, and that's really it. Got it. Okay. So, so to recap, you're, you're using Business Premium or higher for pretty much all of your clients. And when you bring on a new client, your goal is to migrate them away from, like, a local server uh, domain and migrate them to Azure AD. In the process of doing that, like you gotta you know, set up Azure AD, I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. That probably, like, so Azure AD, that's integrated with the micro Microsoft 365 though, right? So you, you set up all the email address, all the accounts, and it's it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and not quite. The, uh, it's, okay. That, that's that's the user provisioning done, but the configuration of the tenant, of course, is another process uh, in and of itself. Um, so that, just I guess, going back to to what I was saying earlier, and um, my background in in software and and so on. So, so the thing that I really liked about three six five, and I don't know if you were around at the time when it when it sort of hit the scene, uh, Steve, but. Over here in Australia, there was there was a lot of resistance to 365, and there was probably two reasons for that. The first one was that you could only buy Office 365 in Australia from a company called Telstra. Telstra are like the national telco here, and mm -hmm. uh, there's there's there was a lot of um, I guess in our industry, Telstra was was almost like a you know a dirty word, and you, you just no one wanted to touch Telstra, so. That, that didn't bode well for 365 in the early days, but then also being new and cloud, as you would probably know, a lot of people in our industry um, uh, a little bit adverse to change, and and that's, you know, for good reasons, of course, but so it, it didn't really get picked up all that heavily at the start, but the customers who, who sort of knew about it and got onto it thought it was the, the greatest thing ever. So there was a market for it, and at Axiom, we we were sort of straight onto it. We just jumped right in, and um, and the reason for that was was largely because I just thought, as a concept, it was brilliant. It was it was just such a good idea, because I hated the idea of having to have a server in a, in a small business with maybe half a dozen staff. This, this idea that you needed a server to run email and file sharing and things like that to me just seemed ludicrous, and it it. It felt like even 10 years ago that there had to be a better way. And there were things around back then like Dropbox and um, G Suite or Google Apps or whatever. I'm not sure what it's called these days. But um, so, so the, the idea of um, cloud was uh, it was there, but it just it didn't really exist in a business context. Anyway, why am I saying all this? So the thing that I thought was 
was brilliant about 365 was that it was exactly the same thing for every customer. And me coming from a software development background, that meant that I could look at it, this thing in a way where I could where I could start to really scale it because I could write scripts or code to integrate with it, to do things with it. And if I wrote it for one client, I'd effectively written it for every client. So the scalability and performance of that was uh, very appealing to me. Um, so I guess fast forward now, we, you know, the product's developed, it's moved from Office 365 to Microsoft 365, it's looking after device management, it's doing it's doing really good things with identity and security. Um, but to I guess to, to your question now, we in terms of setting up a tenant to what I would call the Axiom uh, gold standard or best practice, that there's a lot of work involved in doing that. There's a lot of portals that you've got to go into to configure, there's a lot of policies you've got to configure. And uh, doing that manually would be a difficult process. It would be time consuming, certainly not impossible, but it would be you know, prone to human error. It, consistency would be challenging. And I just don't think you would be sensible to do it that way or, or scalable. Mm -hmm. So with my background in software, we've been able to automate that process to a large extent, um, just you know, through Graph API and PowerShell scripts. So our process to set up a tenant now where we get it from nothing to, to quite highly secure is really just a matter of importing and exporting JSON through a bunch of Graph APIs. And that's that now is a process that we've got down to about probably two, two and a half hours from originally probably 10, 12 hours, something like that. So our ability to production line this environment is, is really, really, really good. And it means that it's quite a profitable process for us too, because we do charge the client a, you know, a substantial amount of money to onboard them. Um, we don't charge them by the hour for that. We just give them a fixed cost, which you know they can afford. And you know, obviously, the, the more efficient we become, the more profitable that becomes for us. So sure. I guess to me, that's, that's one of the, re the real key benefits of going for Microsoft 365 is, is, is the ability to do that. So when you purchase a new computer, um, are you purchasing it with, I don't remember what they call it, but you can purchase it where they load the, the profile stuff from 365 onto the computer? So what the technology you're talking about there is autopilot? Yes, that's what it's called. Yep. Um, so yeah, we do. Uh, it's uh, the distributors now in Australia are, are, are enabling us to do that, which is great. Um, so yes, mm -hmm. when we when we order new machines, they they give us the autopilot hashes that or I think that's what they're called, and yeah, we load those in, and um, yeah, the machine is more or less self self deploying. That's amazing. So, what what does that process look like when? When you're doing autopilot, is it is it you giving the distributor information, or is it the distributor giving you information to enter in a 365? They're giving us the information. Um, so okay. there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can obviously, if you you can give the you can so the one way of doing it is is that you get say Dell or HP to load those hardware IDs into the tenant for you, but they obviously need access to the tenant to do that. Um, and the other way is you can get the distributor to actually take the computer out of the box, uh, run the bit of PowerShell on it, get the get the hash or hardware ID, whatever they call it, 
and then we get that in an email and um, we load it in and, and and that's the end of the process. Very straightforward. Okay. So just looking at my notes here, um, are there any other things that you guys do to like standardize your your product and service stuff that you're doing like because it it sounds like it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right i'm not going to say you're doing nothing wrong because i haven't heard that much but it sounds like you're doing a lot right where you know you're you're saying i i just don't want to take on clients that that don't meet these criteria you know we we want to avoid servers we want to avoid g suite etc 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 right um and then because you've got that software background you are i would say more than just proficient at writing powershell and other types of uh scripting um when it when it comes to allowing you to automate what you're looking to do so so it's not just the powershell now you're able to get in and, and do the the json code editing and, and that type of stuff to really help you dig into the, the graph api and take just take all that power you know by the horns and and use it you know to your benefit so what what other stuff are you doing to kind of standardize your delivery your, your so delivery if i go back five years or so uh, and, and talk about what axiom it was like back then so we, we were five years in, into the into the game and coming into this industry with with no real experience as an msp we were you know we started with no clients and so we just we had to take whatever we could get right um, and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that and it took us a long time to get to a point where you know we were we were comfortable revenue wise and it, it started to get a bit easier so but but in order to get to that point we had to say yes to a lot of things that today i wouldn't mm. say yes to and and while it was all revenue, it was all money, and it was all it was all great. What I discovered at some point was that once we started to throw staff into the mix who hadn't been with us since day one and didn't understand the nuances of all the different clients and why they were set up differently, and you know all, all those complexities, it all of a sudden became a lot more difficult to manage because I wasn't doing it anymore my business partner wasn't doing it anymore and and that knowledge just wasn't there which I, and so i realized that in order to scale an msp and not end up in a huge mess where uh you start to drop the ball in terms of service delivery and things don't get done properly and all that kind of stuff i'm sure we've all picked up a client from an msp where you just look at it and think what what on earth happened here it's just this, this is not right and and you you sort of know that you know it's somewhere along the way they just they the MSP just kind of just just dropped the ball, really, and so and that was that was a big concern for me. I didn't I never wanted to be that kind of person, or you know, not service a client properly. If we can't service them properly, we need to let them go. Has always been my view. So anyway, we ended up with with a with this sort of hodgepodge of, of different setups and and things like that. And, and as I was saying, the staff new staff members, it was very hard to bring them up to speed on that. It would take six to twelve months before they understood it, and um, you know, staff staff retention 
you know, you, you want to hang on to people, but obviously they turn over and then you start that process again and again and again. So what I've learned is that standardization is the key to scaling because you want your environments to all look the same and you want them to to function more or less the same way. Now, there's obviously nuances with every client that you, that you need to address. Yeah. Um, but if you can do that in a way where, where the bulk is the same and it's just a little bit of tweaking on the edges, um, you know, then you have to, we, we use IT glue to document all these things so that, you know, the, the help desk team and the techs know where to look for that information. But, um, can, yeah, standardization is the key, right? Um, so, so what we did is we, you know, I think it was about three years ago when Microsoft announced that Microsoft 365 was a product. Prior to that, it was, you, you know, you needed, uh, it was EMS together with, 365 and so on, but it wasn't, the story didn't quite fit together entirely without the Azure AD join. Um, so it was, I remember, I don't know where, when it happened over there, but we, we had an Ignite tour or, or something like that over here where they announced it. It was massive news. I was like, finally, like this is the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle is here, which is the Azure AD join piece, which, you know, meant that all of a sudden the domain controller was no longer needed you know, in most, in a lot of circumstances anyway. Um, and so what we did is we went off and we we decided, okay, this is it now, we've got to, we're going to go full tilt on this. And so we, we, we redid all of our managed service offering to be completely focused on the Microsoft 365 offer. Um, and, and it was really like pretty simple in terms of how we tier it. Like I said earlier, we start with Business Premium, E3 and E5, Obviously, you get more security as you move up the stack, mm -hmm. um, and 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 away we go. So that's been the best decision I've ever ever made in this business because um, it's very easy to sell that. And so, and I'll I'll tell you a bit more about how we do it. So within within our product, which we, we call it Axiom Cloud, um, we have essentially four different types of of users. So we have what we call it just a an Axiom Cloud user who's your full desktop user has everything. Copy your license, we manage the desktop, we manage their mobile devices, backup, all that kind of stuff. We then have a light user, which is essentially what you would give to say like uh, a board member or someone who, who uses their own machine and they basically just get web-based access into 365. And then we have mailbox only, which is pretty pretty rare these days, but that's just an exchange license with a bunch of security on it. And then we have we we have what we call our secure shared mailbox SKU, which is basically just a shared mailbox. But again, we, we do a little bit more to secure it, um, and we you know we charge a fee to back it up and manage it. That they're the four offerings we have within our uh, managed service. So. It's really simple. We don't have to try to work out licensing or licensing strategies on a on a on a um, client by client basis. It's all kind of predefined, and um, which means for the people working on the help desk, it's very easy. They know what sort of user the person is when they ring up. Uh, they don't have to think about the licensing. That's all taken care of for them. And when it comes to quoting, it it just makes quoting just so much easier because. You'll obviously have a sales discussion with the client. You'll work out, you know, do they fit? We have the three different plans. We call it basic, essential security, and security plus. Once you've worked out where they fit, how many staff you got, you know, have a quick look in the tenant, how many shared mailboxes have you got, that kind of thing. 
put the quote together. It's all fixed cost. Um, you know, it, it takes takes five minutes to put that quote together out of we use Proposify for quoting um, and bang, done. They sign it, away we go. And so then over to service delivery, they know exactly how many users there are, what types of users, all that kind of stuff. It just makes that process end-to-end so much smoother. Hmm. Very cool. Now, trying to trying to formulate the words. See, this is this is hard for me. Like you, you know, it's the beginning of the day. You're you're sharp. You know, you, you've got it all. <laughs> it's working right for me. It's like oh, it's you know quarter to six. You know, dinner starts forty five minutes ago. Don't don't worry. I've got I've got I've got plans tonight. I'm gonna go get wings with some guys. It's gonna be nice. so good. Um. Don't worry, I'll wear my mask and all that. Uh, so, yeah, Eric says need help. Uh, so, all right, let's talk more about the security portion of your offering. Um, so you said you're you're doing ATP. Yes. And that seems cool. You know, it's it's cool that it's you know you're using the full Microsoft stack. So let's talk about what ATP does and what AP, ATP doesn't do. Um, so first, let's let's just start at the endpoint. Does it mm-hmm. does it do anything to protect the endpoint? So obviously, Defender ATP just um, and well, let me give you my understanding of how this works. And, and I'm I'm not across the technicalities like I used to be, so I could be a little a little wrong here. But so forgive me if I am, but. Defender ATP is simply Windows Defender. Um, that's the that's the, the engine that runs on the workstation that, that does its thing. What, the benefit of the ATP is you get the, the analytics and behavioral analysis on top and it feeds through um, back into the cloud and, and does, I guess, more advanced things than what you would get with just your regular ATP. Uh, sorry, your regular Microsoft Defender. Um, now, what, where I was really sold on the Defender ATP story is that if you get a threat, say you get uh, a file that comes in that's malicious that gets downloaded onto a workstation and executed, you, you can actually see the whole process of where that file entered the environment um, through because it's come through 365, obviously, so you get that you get that traceability and visibility back up to the to the cloud as to as to where it came from, what it did on the machine, and it gives you quite a good visual representation of the um, of the you know how that threat took place. Having that all within the same platform is obviously better than having set different products because you can't. It's a lot harder to track that um, across you know the different. Uh, vectors, if you like, so that that's where I was sold on that. Um, obviously, the other thing that I like about Defender ATP, and and this ties in with our model too. So, one thing I didn't mention is that the way that we sell managed services, we do it on per on a per user basis. So we don't we don't try to do the device uh, type. You know, you're so you're the CEO and you've got a laptop and you've got a, a, a computer at home and you've also got a computer in the office, that's three devices, we've got to charge you extra for that. Um, the, you still there, Steve? Actually, there's a lot of background noise that just went away. Oh, okay. Let me, let me 
turn I got a, a fan on because uh, I'm a smart guy. Because uh. <laughs> because I'm dying in here, and uh. I didn't think about all the noise it's doing. So yeah, there you go. I bet I bet all that noise went away, didn't it? It did. Oh, wow, you made a few people happy. Oh boy. So as I was saying, so yeah, so we we tried to move away from that 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 pricing just because one it creates more admin, uh, and I'm, I'm not a fan of admin, and um, and it's just simpler for the for the customer. Just how many users you got. We don't care how many devices you've got. Um, we'll, we'll sort of look after them all, and. And I guess the thing I liked about Defender is that Defender is per user licensing. So we don't mm-hmm. have to, whereas we, if we went to a third party like Sophos or WebRoot, we're paying per, per endpoint, which, you know, it's, it's not a big amount of money, but it does, it does erode away that profitability. Do you have a lot of clients that have more than one device? Uh, yeah, increasingly we're seeing that, um, particularly, you know, with COVID, a lot of people set up a second device they had, you know, they'd have one in the office, or they'd have a laptop, and then they had a desktop as well. Um, so gotcha. yeah, that, yep. Yeah. D- devices are just becoming more ubiquitous, and then of course you've got mobile devices. People have iPads, things like that. So, um, yep, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, let's keep talking about what ATP is able to do for us. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the desktop. Uh, let's talk about. OneDrive, does it do anything in OneDrive, like beyond the desktop, like in the cloud? I don't believe so. Um, no. Okay. What about email? Are you are you doing anything to protect their email? Yes. So we the other the other ATP product is the Defender for three six five, and of course we use that for the anti phishing, anti spam, anti malware. Uh, functionality that provides, as well as so the, probably the big ones that that we that we or well, the things that I like there are so safe attachments, is, which does that um, secondary scan of the file. I think it opens it up in in what they call a detonation chamber, um, and monitors the behaviour of the file just to make sure it's not doing anything malicious. And and then obviously once it's approved, it, it lets it through. I'm um, not sure if you're familiar with that, Steve. You. You're yeah. looking a bit. Yeah, no, you are good. Okay. No, no, um, I'm, and... I'm also I'm looking up. Uh, I, Eric, Eric is screaming in the chat. Yes, it can. Um, <laughs> and I, I very quickly Googled something. I've got screens everywhere, right? So, gotcha. um, it it appears as though uh, Defender will will basically do like safe attachments for SharePoint, OneDrive, and even Teams. Yes. Is that so Defender I, the endpoint, Defender for endpoint, or is that um, the Office 365 or Defender for 365? Defender um, for Office 365, Plan mm-hmm. 1 and Plan 2, and then mm-hmm. Microsoft 365 Defender. Yep. 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 So, oh, so um, maybe, maybe that's the difference. So the ATP isn't doing anything it's just the other part of defender i just assume that they're all the same thing i don't know it's very confusing all this microsoft stuff they've got they they have like 97 things that come with with 365 and uh i i I don't even know all the things like 
it's it, yeah. I mean, you've got to you've got to stay on top of this stuff, and that that's challenging. But um, the the other thing too is, of course, they they tend to rename the products with with somewhat regularity as well. So that that doesn't help either. But um, yeah, you just it's just part of the job. So so yeah, I see. Uh, Eric says ATP is both three six five. And defender ATP for the endpoint. Mm-hmm. So that's apparently all the all the things he said. He's going to throw himself into his new smoker. I think we have offended him. <laughs> uh, and it, it's a really nice smoker. Like this thing came on a pallet. Like I I, I don't know. They must have they must have like uh, freight shipped it to him. It, it looks pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. The the cool thing is I think it's big enough. It could fit him. <laughs> so maybe he'll do us both a favor. I don't know. I'm I'm teasing I'm teasing Eric just because I I'm having Eric on tomorrow as a guest, and uh, I I'm I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> he, he and I go back and forth a lot. I just have no idea what to expect. So I'm getting them in now while I can. Um, Very nice. All right, so. All right, so ATP, uh, did we, did I ask you if it does the email stuff? Yeah, on ATP. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right, so I th- I think that does it does it protect your mile IQ? Like what 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 else does <laughs> Defender protect? So well, I guess yeah, emails emails one of the key things, and so the safe attachments, safe links, um, and you know just just the extra protection you've got there with anti phishing and things like that um, make it a worthwhile product. Um, and and I guess just improved uh, spam detection and, and so on. So it's okay. uh, it, it's a no brainer to me. Sure. Um, now what what about um, you know when you look at products like Sophos, like they have like managed threat detection and uh, that type of stuff where you know you, you're paying extra, obviously, but it. It almost sounds like they they have uh, either AI or r- really smart people behind the scenes, just like fixing things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you said that that ATP it, it kind of shows you where the threat came in and the path that it took and all the files it touched, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, is there a button that you can click and just roll it all back? That I couldn't tell you, Steve, but what I can talk to is there's definitely the AI component to the Microsoft 365 uh, security components. Uh, and that, that's definitely one of, the, one of the things that Microsoft sell. And I guess where I, I mean, I'm, I, to be completely upfront, I haven't looked at the Sophos stuff for a long time now, and I don't know exactly mm. what their offering is, and I'm sure that it's it's pretty much aligned to the to what Microsoft offer. Um, where I guess where I've been convinced that that going the full Microsoft stack is a better solution is that the if the more information it gets, the better it gets at the threat detection. So if you put a third party mail filtering service in front of 365 it's it's not getting the full picture anymore because it's going to filter things out and so 
I guess uh, I don't know what the strategy would be there, whether you would just turn off all the protection in 365 if you're using a third-party product or, or still have that second layer of defense, which I think would be somewhat confusing if you didn't understand how that was working. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look okay. at the end of the day, you've, you've got to kind of pick your stack, okay. right? And, and uh, you know, it's hard to say is one better than the other, but... Um, you know, you've got to be comfortable with what you've chosen and and why you've chosen it. And uh, certainly, I can say that we I've, we've had good results with the Microsoft stack. Now, now maybe there's better stuff out there, but um, touch wood, we haven't had a problem yet. Okay. Now, here in the the United States, we have a lot of uh, compliance and red tape when it comes to certain industries. Uh, healthcare is a big one. Um, finance is a big one. Do you guys have, you know, I, you know, everyone, when they think of Australia, they think like, you know, kangaroos. So like, do you, do you guys have like, regulatory compliance that you have to adhere to? I, I We don't have anything like what you have over there um, when it comes to that. Uh, even even in health, it's uh, it's not, it's, uh, it's, I don't believe we have anything like HIPAA. We don't look after any health clients though. So okay. maybe there is an, or maybe there is now and I don't know about it. There certainly, there wasn't in the past. Um, I guess the the biggest thing that we have here is uh, what we call the notifiable data breach scheme, uh, which is in, in some ways similar to GDPR, which which is a European thing. So you might not be familiar yeah. with that, uh, but I'm no, sure we, there's an. We we all like you go to any website anymore, and it has those stupid. We have cookies. Do you want to accept them all? Uh -huh. And it doesn't let you click on anything until you accept all the cookies. Like, ugh. Yeah. So now we, we know GDPR. We hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I hear you. So um, notifiable data breach is, is somewhat similar to that. Um, more, I guess, more breach focused than privacy. But um, essentially, if, if you have some kind of data breach and that exposes what, what PII, personally identifiable information. Uh, there is an obligation to report that and, and heavy fines if you don't. Um, but, you know, you don't hear too much about that happening. And I'm not sure that, you know, people take it all that seriously. Um, but, yeah. It, it, so you, you said that there's heavy fines if you don't. Mm -hmm. Are there fines or, or any type of consequence if you do report having a breach? Not, I don't believe there are. I think that if you do, you just, you basically, uh, if you report on a breach, you, you sign yourself up to a whole bunch of work, um, just trying to work out what's been exposed and um, and and basically, you know, letting the authorities know. So it, it, it's, it's a massively time-consuming process and um, best avoided. So... That sounds like the wild, wild west. It it sounds like you guys have no laws. Um, 
uh, you know, it's 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 just figure it out as you go almost over there. Now, now obviously, you know, there you you might have something like a BAA or something like HIPAA or whatever, but if if you're not supporting healthcare, I guess you really don't need to be an expert on that stuff. May, well, us as a company, no. Um, but yeah, look, I'm, the the dilemma as a managed service provider is that you're talking to your clients about security and, and trying to get them to take that seriously. And when there's when there's no real consequence for a security breach, then it's difficult for people to take that seriously. In a lot of cases. That's a good point. So, That's a good point. Yeah, hmm. and what. In, really, in my experience, what I found is that unless someone has a personal experience with, with you know, they're having identity theft occur or, that, you know, their business actually, like someone, they do get, they do fall victim to some kind of phishing attack where they end up paying out money to, the, to someone that they shouldn't. Um, those sorts of situations will, will trigger a response and then they will start to take things seriously. But basically in Australia, we're a little bit, laid back and it's, you know, she'll be right sort of attitude. And then something happens and obviously things change. But until that happens, it can be very difficult to get through to these people. And without that regulatory kind of compliance in place, there's no real, you know, I guess um, there's no incentive for the business. That's really interesting. Mm. It is. I'm moving to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now let's talk just because I'm genuinely curious. Um, let's talk about anything else that you guys are doing that's not Microsoft. Like for now, I know that Microsoft doesn't make routers. So I'm sure you have to provide some type of router, firewall, UTM, whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. What what device do you like to use right now? At your I'll, I'll circle back to that, Steve, because I will. There are some products we use in the cloud that are not Microsoft, which are probably worth touching on too. So, one thing we do is we back up three six five. Okay. And you know, there's that's debatable as to whether you need to do that or not. Um, I, I was certainly of the opinion that if you've got uh, retention in place, that you don't really need it. Um, mm-hmm. But that was until someone went and deleted a folder with 3,000 items in it and we had to manually restore it from the recycle bin one by one. That was that was not not a very enjoyable process. So, so you can get so your the, data back. So the retention lets you get it back. It just is the most painful process in the world. So you'd rather mm-hmm. just pay extra for a third-party backup solution to make your life easier in that emergency type of situation, hundred percent. So, yeah, it's it's not it's not so much about risk as it is about just being able to do things quickly. That that recovery time objective mm-hmm. is is a it's a real thing, you know. Especially, you know, it's it's one thing when when someone says, "Oops, I deleted a single file," but holy cow, if you have to restore 3000 plus files in a folder that, I mean, how, how many hours did it take and did you have more than one person doing it? So the, I mean, that, that 
So a situation like that is is you know you run you run a PowerShell script and it just you know goes through the okay. files one by one and and restores them. But even doing it that way, it's got to do it one at a time. So the script will sit there for hours and hours and hours, just just getting through that list. So it's uh, it, it's it is painful. So it's best avoided. But also. Um, you know, litigation hold on a mailbox, for example, you can, you'll get the mail back, run an e-discovery search, no problem. But the way I kind of describe that is, so you take the scenario where someone somehow, maybe a mailbox got corrupted, I don't know, but they've lost everything or a substantial amount of data out of the mailbox. Now I can go and run an e-discovery search, get all that mail back, but literally I'm going to walk on you, up to your desk with a pile of emails without any folders or anything and be like, here's your email. Off you go, go and put it back the way it was, kind of thing. So, oh wow, it's the structure so, of the mailbox that you don't get. You get the data, but not the structure. Got it. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound no. helpful. So yeah, just I mean, and it just makes our text lives easier as well. So backup, hundred uh, percent. I'd say you need that. Um, in, you know, and and obviously we don't go to Microsoft for that. We go to a third party. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing that we like to include is the cloud email signature product. Um, we use Exclaimer for that, and mm -hmm. we just find that that that's a nice little um, touch that the clients do do really like, and it, and it kind of makes sense to me, right? Like, why why don't you have you? email signatures in the cloud like everything else is in the cloud but your email signatures aren't so uh, to me that kind of completes the picture of email in the cloud so that that's a good one good one as well but yeah they're the, probably the two main things that are that are not microsoft in our stack and actually one other thing i could think of is we uh, a big part of what we do which i haven't talked about is is cloud adoption so obviously with teams uh businesses need help getting getting proficient in teams a lot of the time and that that's a service that we offer and uh, to augment that we use a product called quick help which is like an online learning platform uh, designed exclusively for the 365 platform they're also hmm. doing some other cool stuff now with, around security training and um, like simulated phishing and stuff that was kind of moving into the security space a little bit around education as well um, but but to me, that that's a really useful tool to have um, that you can give to to end users and say, you know, go off and do some teams training. It'll just sort of help them with the basics of how to use the tool. So yeah, they're the three main things that we that we put in our cloud bundle that um that are not Microsoft. So okay. Now, what about uh, physical things that are not Microsoft? So yeah, so Computers routers. And, yeah. Yeah, so we don't. I mean, we do. We do sell computers, obviously, to our clients. We, you know, we stick to the big, bigger brands, HP, and and we do do some Surface stuff as well. Which, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a raving fan of the of the Surface range, but it is good. Um, and some and people, some people love them. They just they they they're a bit sort of like, you know, they're a bit like how people love their their Mac stuff. You get these people mm -hmm. who just love the Surface stuff. So right. um, <clears throat> where we've got the uh, authorized reseller qualification so we can buy them and, and sell them, which is nice. Um, nice. 
and uh, yeah, so there's that, and then obviously, like you say, there's there is the networking stuff, which um, you know, it, take you take the server away from the network, and all of a sudden, there's there's a lot less complexity required there. So, um, U, UTM's, I guess. They uh, they still have a place to some extent, but then it's not the sort of it's not that it's not as important as it once was. I would say I think if you have a router with no ports open, you, that's okay if they're if they're a full cloud kind of business. Because as I said earlier, the the I guess the biggest threat I see is the the cloud identity and keeping that secure. And and no UTM can really help you with that unless I'm mistaken. Now. That's that's a really, um, I, I think that's a fair approach. And I mean, a, another another way to look at this, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a Cisco firewall or a, a Sophos UTM or the the modem router that came from the internet provider. Mm-hmm. If you have no ports being forwarded then there's there's no like blatant holes in the network which means at that point if someone's trying to hack onto your physical desktops then either they're going to do it like in person or b they're like a really good hacker and they're going to get around them no matter what firewall like if if they want in bad enough they'll get in um and I'm sure there's other ways, like you know, convincing someone that you're Microsoft tech support and and getting on there with Screen Connect or mm-hmm. TVR or whatever. But like, you know, if if someone wants in there, they're gonna get in there. And I I feel like no amount of security is going to prevent every single type of uh, breach or event or whatever you want to call security issues, right? Well, I mean, you can have you can have the best security in the world, as I'm sure you would know. But um, the the biggest risk is always the user, and um, you know, you can yeah, you can have the, all the best locks and security in the world, but if you know you leave the door open, which you know is is essentially what an an uneducated user will do. Mm-hmm. Um, then it doesn't. It doesn't. None of that matters. So um, you know. But that's not to say you shouldn't do these things. It's just that um, if you think that's going to solve the problem on in and of itself, it, of course it won't. So that that end user training, you know, is really really important. And I mean, I've I've seen like we we have MFA set up across the board, and I've mm-hmm. I've experienced with a client who a, a user that's got MFA and they've hit they've landed on one of those 365 phishing pages, put the credentials in, the person sitting on the other end of that grabbed the credentials, signed in to 365 from their machine, which triggered the MFA prompt and the, immediately, and the user did it because they just thought that's that's just what happens. I sign in, I get MFA. And then so the person, the attacker was just straight in the door. Oh, um, wow. I didn't even think about the fact that the that the attacker could be like actively watching to see if somebody is typing in credentials, so that way they can get in right away with that MFA token. Literally, they'll sit. They'll they'll get alerted 
the second they fill in that form, and they'll, they, there's probably even automated that it'll sign that it'll then sign into the 365 account, trigger the MFA, which the user expects to happen, and which when the user thinks they're signing into a legitimate 365 page, they will hit the approve button on the Authenticator app, and the person's in. So, wow. how do you stop that? It, it's, it's difficult. Shock collars. <laughs> but I mean, look, that could happen to anyone. Um, you know, if, if you if you've had a long day, you're tired. You know, it, it, it's you know you're not you're not thinking about what you're doing, whatever. It's uh, and look, we we brand the three six five login page um, to to start, You know, it's a little bit of it, it's not really security, but it does help if they go to a three six five login page and our branding is not there. They might stop and ask the question, but we've had clients targeted with emails, sending them to fake login pages with our branding on them. Like it, it's they've taken our background image, they've put the client logo on it, they've done the whole bit. So they'll go to great lengths to to get that information. That's insane. Yeah. Now, is that something that those attackers are scripting? Is that possible? Go collect uh, this information and use it. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question properly, Steve. I'm sorry. So when an attacker decides they're going to go after a bunch of companies, are they able to just write a script that goes out and collects the the background and the and the client logo and that type of stuff to brand these pages? Are they are they writing it into the code of the page they're designing to like? detect what the background and logo is on the website or is everything manual? I couldn't tell you, but I'd say um, there's a very good chance they've automated that. Definitely. Hmm. Certainly doable. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask uh, one last time, if anyone in the, uh, in the audience that's watching live has any questions, Please pop those into the chat. That way we can try and get those answered for you before we wrap up. Um, now, you said before that, you know, you you have, you know, the software development background and there's a lot of, like, stuff that you guys need to do in order to set up one of these clients. So do you just have, like, a, a bunch of scripts or... or uh, whatever you want to refer to them as, I know. I know some programmers get get a little iffy when when you say I'm, I'm just writing a PowerShell script. They want to say they're they're coding and it's whatever, <laughs> right. So so do you just have like a bunch of scripts, or did you like make a pretty interface, or like how how involved is this is this process that you're using to set up 365 for your clients? Yeah, yeah. So we. We we've invested probably two years into um, what I would call kind of DevOps kind of work, mm -hmm. um, and so we there's a, there's there's a few parts to this. So we've got we've written our own PowerShell module. We call it, it's just the Axiom IT PowerShell module, um, and all of our staff have have that um, on their machines, and that allows them to do things like connect to clients, three six five services, just through our own commandlets and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we've written our own um, commandlets to onboard and offboard users. So that that process is largely automated. Um, you know, integrates into our ticketing system, ConnectWise, and so on. Uh, which we've also built our own custom client portal. So a little bit like what something like Cloud Radial, but um, we wrote our own, and that also integrates through Graph API. So all of our forms that our <clears throat> excuse me that our clients fill in, they're all pulling in data from from their 365 environment. So when they want to offboard a user, there's a drop down there. They pick the user they want to offboard. It's already pre-populated. They want to create a user. They select from a list of drop downs. They want to delegate access to mailboxes and things like that. It's all there, um, which is great. And then at the end of that, it just pushes out a little uh, API call into ConnectWise and throws in a little PowerShell snippet that the text just run and, and that does takes care of the onboarding. So our onboarding process is, is somewhat complex because of um, all the things that we do in the background. Um, but essentially all the tech does is run that script and it will talk to our distributor, order the licenses, it'll put that into our billing system and, and bill the customer. Uh, and it will go provision the user, assign the license, and do all that kind of jazz. So, and then send off emails to let people know that the user's ready, and here's the temporary password, and so on and so forth. So, we've invested a ton of time in that, and and that again would not be possible without an environment like 365, where you know you you can actually do that. Just another one of the things that I love about it, and. Um, so there's that. So there's that. That I would say is sort of the the day to day operational, you know, automating all of those processes once a client comes on board. But of course, before you can do any of that, you've got to get the client in, into shape. And um, so for us, that means uh, getting the tenants set up. And I guess from a client onboarding point of view, there's always there's two parts to it. You've got to get the tenants set up, and then you've got to get the users onboarded. And the user onboarding piece is quite still quite manual and, and laborious and you know generally they'll book an appointment and or we'll go on site and we'll onboard the machines and we'll set up mfa and do all that kind of stuff and walk the users through that process there's no way of automating or getting around that um, and that's that's okay that's that's the customer service stuff that we do and that's the thing that clients love but uh, as far as getting the tenants set up that that is something that's highly automatable. And again, we've spent a couple of years refining that process over and over. And essentially is just pushing policies and um, various configuration into the tenant to get it to, to our standard. Um, so we've, we've invested a lot of time trying to streamline that as much as possible. And, um, and we, you know, we've, we've been pretty successful in that. But then I guess the other piece of that puzzle is that once a tenant is set up, uh, is, is ensuring that that configuration sticks so that uh, in six months' time, the, the, the settings that we put in are still there and they still, they're still configured the way they were on day one. That, that's really important. The other side of this is, or the other consideration in all of this is that three years ago when we started onboarding our customers, um, the policies looked a little bit different uh, than they did than they do today. And there were there were probably less policies available and there were certainly less options on those policies. So one thing we discovered a year or two into the journey was that we had all these older tenants that uh, we hadn't actually configured a lot of the new settings on. So we had to go back and revisit those. And that continues to be an ongoing process because Microsoft iterates so quickly and, and add new features all the time that you've got you've got to first figure out how to use it 
um, mm -hmm. or if you want to use it, and then once you decide how you're going to how you're going to, or if you're going to, you then have to go back to all those tenants and update all the settings, which uh, is is quite a quite a tedious and manual process that um, no one enjoys doing. So there, there, I guess probably some of the biggest challenges that we've run into over the last couple of years around consistency and, and compliance on that front. So um, we. We've we've now we we have sought to address that challenge as well, um, and that. But in order to do that, we've actually we've developed our own product now that we're we're going to market with um, that can help MSPs with with that exact challenge that I just described around keeping your policies current and and then being able to easily push that out across all of your tenants uh, in a way that's not manual. Hmm. So uh, the name of that product is MSP Magic. And, you know, I, I asked you when I first learned about it, is is this product like Simeon Cloud? And I believe your, your answer was no, because they focus a lot more on, like, policies. And MSP Magic focuses more on, like, the administration portion of things right um so i would say so what so my understanding is that what, what we're trying to achieve here and what Simeon cloud are trying to achieve are, are similar things um so it's about consistency and and compliance so so in in, in that sense yes um i think i think that the the two the two products approach it a little differently um, and I believe that we we do some things that they don't. Um, and but but yeah, I guess in summary, similar challenge uh, that we're trying to address, just just different approaches to addressing that challenge. Have you heard of augment with two T's? I have not. A U G M E N T T. Um, this one I ran into recently, and and I see that they help MSPs build and deliver profitable SaaS services. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know what that actually means. You know what I mean? Like, so what's cool is I've I've got a, a meeting with them coming up just because I'm I'm trying to figure out what it is they do uh, for the MSP because I feel like it's not. It's not what you're doing. It's not what Simeon Cloud's doing. I feel like it's almost completely different. So yeah, I mean, it, I I couldn't I, without having a good look, Steve. Obviously, I don't know, but um, we I guess there there are a number of products coming into market now, um, looking to help MSPs automate service delivery um, and, and configuration and things like that, and it's you know it's a growing space um, because I think as an MSP if you if you're not approaching it this way it's going to be very difficult to be profitable and scalable um, so you so you know whether you're using uh, a product like ours or you use Simeon Cloud or even now Skykick have got their Cloud Manager product which um, you know I'm sure that's a good product too mm -hmm. but it. I guess where the vendors are starting to put the products in front of us is 
gives us an indication of where where we need to go. And um, true, the the automation and um, you know the the time saving piece is critical to profitability. Uh, in my mm-hmm. mind, you know, if you, if you're spending hours and hours onboarding a user or things like that, which can be automated, and I think that's you know sort of what Skykick aims to do is is help you know, the orchestration of like onboarding a new user, creating a, you know, WebEx account for them at the same time as their 365 account or Dropbox account and, and so on and so forth. And, and again, for offboarding, mm-hmm. you need to be doing that because otherwise you'll just be, you're, you're burning time. And, but not only that, I, I feel like uh, on the client side, uh, particularly for us, we've set an expectation with our clients that they can come to us and they can request a new user and, and get that turnaround same day, uh, you know, within an hour or two, like end to end. It shouldn't be a difficult process. Whereas I hear we pick up clients and, you know, they tell us that they have to give the current provider a week's notice and things like that, which to me is just, it's crazy. I can't understand how how, how that would be okay. Um, but anyway, nevertheless, so uh, it, it, it all comes down to the consistency thing in my mind and, and being able to just do it, you know, as much as I don't like to say it, but you've got to have a cookie cutter approach to what you're delivering to your clients. And, um, you know, it, it, having the right tools to do that is really important. And, and at this stage, they don't exist. And I guess where I saw the opportunity with MSP Magic is that, um, you know, we have RMM tools for workstations and servers and we've had them for mm-hmm. i don't know how long like since forever since i've been in the game at least and longer right why hasn't someone built an rmm tool for office 365 that was the biggest question i always had like surely you know kaseya or, or LabTech or, or whoever enable what this is this is an opportunity here to to expand their offering into that space because every MSP is doing 365, whether that it's it's all they're doing or not is is a different thing, but they're all doing it and sure. they need to be doing it in a way that um, you know it, they they can make it profitable, even if it's just selling like a basic 365 hardening service um, that 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 they can deliver through that consistency. You know they they need a tool for that. I agree, and and David um, even said that traditional RMM vendors are conspicuously absent from this segment, and I'll I'll agree with that. Um, the the thing that I find the most frustrating, and, and I've said this before in other episodes, you know, you you sit down, you look at a, a one of the RMM tools, and and you see they they still have like ancient scripts in there, like. You know, to to clean up the Exchange Store on an Exchange 2003 <laughs> server, like like we're going to use that, like that's, oh, so you know, they're they're still running like 18 year old technology on these on these RMM tools, and and they're selling it to us for uh, ridiculous prices, and and we keep buying it, mm. and that's that's the biggest problem is that we just keep buying it. Um, I I do think that that we need a product and I don't know, I don't care whose product it is. And I think there should be more than one because competition is good for, mm-hmm. um, uh, for free market. Right. So, so I, I think that there should be stuff out there that is, that is able to manage um, and, and monitor, 
you know, all of our all of our cloud tools and not just 365 even. I'm even thinking like there should be something that can manage 365 and G Suite and Dropbox, and, you know, like, you know, the. I'm sure there's a list of like 10 or 20 big cloud programs that are, are like the most popular ones used by MSPs, just like figure out how to manage them through APIs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it uh, the thing is that I think that a lot of MSPs are not are not delivering services quite that way yet. So there's still does it. We're in a very slow moving industry. Has been my experience. Um, the change takes a very long time in the MSP world, mm-hmm. and um, and there and there are good reasons for that. Um, but but innovation is slow, and so. And I, I think that's ridiculous because if you look at technology, like the technology is changing quicker than than our industry for supporting that technology. Uh huh. Yep, I couldn't agree and more. That's not okay. Uh, no, it well, and it look, it's. I think you know, four or five years ago, I could I could see that the MS like our industry was way behind where the clients were going, um, but part of that also was. Um, I guess Microsoft hadn't given us what we needed to do what we needed to do, but that that's no longer the case. Um, Microsoft 365 allows you to manage, I guess, what I call the modern world, um, in a way that you know is is quite powerful. So you, so the tools are there, the, like the the products are there to do that. But yeah, again, if you start to extend outside of that 365 infrastructure or ecosystem. It becomes a lot more difficult, and so that's that's part of the reason why for Axiom we've decided where we can use the Microsoft product we will, and where we need to go outside of the Microsoft stack. So, for example, a good one is like say Salesforce, right? Got a lot of clients using Salesforce now. Salesforce hmm. is is probably the like best in breed CRM, uh, I would say. Um, you can disagree. I don't know. With me, Dynamics of- is pretty great. It, it possibly, you know, it is, but Salesforce have the name in the market, and a lot of people are drawn to that. So, as 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 an MSP, we've got clients using it. So our responsibility is we've got to secure that, right? Now, I don't know how to secure Salesforce, but I do know that I can set up single sign-on with Salesforce um, using Azure AD, and I've already secured the Azure AD sign-in, and I've got identity protection on it, and I'm monitoring it and doing all that kind of stuff. So. Um, you know, we need to be doing these sorts of things for our clients where it's possible. Um, and, and and again, I don't think a lot of MSPs are thinking that way. They just, they kind of go, well, we, we'll look after the 365. And if you're going to go and use other SaaS stuff, that, that's on you. And, and that's fine. If that's in your agreement that you don't do that, sure. But um, I, I think as as a good advisor, you should be explaining to them why they should be doing the single sign-on or why they need to pay the extra for Dropbox Enterprise or, or whatever it is that, that gives you the SSO capability into Azure AD, that's that's really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. And I know I've been burnt by that where the client sort of decided, you know, they were going to use Dropbox because they needed it. We weren't going to manage it. They went for the standard option without the single sign-on and then one of the accounts got compromised. And, you know, we'd had that discussion and they chose not to go down the path that we advised and it, and it burnt them. But it... My neck wasn't on the line, so that was okay. But um, yeah, it's um, 
it's yeah, it's 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 an interesting world, I suppose. That we're we're in an interesting space now, and you know, I think if you if you're not doing this well, eventually it's going to catch up with you, and and your clients will wise up, and and they'll move on to the people who are. Well, Taz, I I thank you for coming on here and and talking with us about um, your your full Microsoft stack experience. Uh, it, it sounds interesting. I know that there are going to be people that hate everything about what you just said. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, and there might be people that love everything about what you just said. Um, and that's that's the beauty of this industry, in my opinion, is, is that there are more than one way to do things. Absolutely. Um, so, There's no right or wrong way, Steve. I I don't think that we have. Well, there's we definitely are, wrong we, ways. Well, <laughs> but we, I'm not here to, to say that you know everyone should do what we do and 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 you know that this is the only right. way to go. There's you've got to find what works for you, and you've just got to back yourself in on that. And if you can if you can convince people it's that it's a good idea and you can support it and and you get a good outcome, then then you know then all power mm -hmm. to you. And and you are returning in uh, a few weeks, I believe. We're going to talk specifically about MSP Magic. And the, the thing that excites me the most about it is, you know, you are you are actively you're actively like building this thing based on the way that you are running your MSP. Mm -hmm. So like for now, it, it does things kind of. I'll say just like you do them, right? You know, specifically the way you do them. It like those are the things that you've built out first when it comes to what to manage and how to manage and that type of stuff. But I could see eventually you will just continue to add functionality to the product so that way again, there's there's more than one right way. So give give us the uh the ability to kind of design things the way that we want to. Oh, exactly. I mean, ultimately, everyone, everyone's going to do do things a little bit differently. And, and a good tool gives you the the power to do things that you need to do, but the flexibility to do it in the way that, that works for you. So, um, which, of course, is part of the challenge in building a product is mm -hmm. is not, not making it so, I guess, uh, you don't want it too tightly bound to the way that we do things. but um, but but it's important that it, you know it, that key functionality is there so that it, it, it yeah it does what it needs to do in a way that's flexible enough for for everyone to use. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, Steve, and and to diving into that a little bit more and and explaining how how the two kind of go together. Awesome. Well, Taz, thanks again for being here. Uh, this was this was really helpful for me, and I'm sure it was really helpful for others. And uh, I will see you in a few weeks and uh, everyone else that's watching this live. I will see you guys uh, hopefully again tomorrow at one where I interview uh, Eric Taylor. And we're going to talk about uh, some cybersecurity hygiene. Um, Taz, check this one out. Uh, you're in I the future. Will. So you'll have to you'll have to wait extra. Um but yeah, definitely. Oh, actually, you've already seen it because you're in the future. <laughs> That's um, right. But no, come come check that out tomorrow, guys. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode.
Thanks again, Steve. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.